Welcome to MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. I'm your host, Andy Rogers, VP of Business Development at KeyTech. Each month, me and a KeyTecher are going to interview a MedTech leader and talk to them about the critical data-driven decisions they make in their programs. Hey, everybody. Welcome to MedTech Speed to Data. I'm your host, Andy Rogers, here today with, with two guests. Very excited about today. First guest, uh, Sarah Hussain from ResMed, Head of Diversity and Inclusion, and also uh, Danica Mackesy, uh, Senior uh, Partner at KeyTech and also part of Diversity and Inclusion uh, here at KeyTech. Very excited for today's episode. We're going to learn about uh, the initiatives that Sarah and Danica are a part of. And um, you know, it's a different type of episode than, than prior uh, episodes, but looking forward to it. So Sarah, Danica, w- welcome to the show. Excited to be here. Thank you for having me. So I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, how we met, Sarah. So it's it's been a it's been a while since uh, I met a podcast guest or anyone really at a, at a bar. So typically I'm out to dinner with customers. Just happen to be at a bar in the hotbed of Boston, and and uh, you were there having dinner, a quick dinner, just like myself with a colleague of mine. And uh, so so glad we met, and really excited to to learn more about you and what you're up to. So small, it's a small power of connection. I'm glad you brought that up. I think it's a good reminder about just striking up conversation with someone. Now we're friends and I've seen you at multiple conferences since then. So it's a small <laughs> Yeah, my, uh, my former, the former CEO at KeyTech, um, we always kidded she, when she, as she was retiring, you know, let's, let's put a uh, coffee table book together. And the title of the book is like, always pack your bathing suit, right? Like always just go to the pool at, at a conference or, or wherever you are and you're going to, you'd be surprised who you meet. So I love that. Noted. <laughs> Okay, Sarah, so first we'll start with you. Can you just describe your background and and what your role is at ResMed? Yeah, so I actually studied international relations and then I got a master's in public policy and then an MBA. I'm really all about making businesses better, processes better. I started off in international relations and then I pivoted into tech about 10 years ago. And in the tech space, it was all about, you know, how do you build this culture that retains uh, certain communities. How do you attract talent? Um, and I was really involved in that with Amazon about 10 years ago. And then I pivoted into Qualcomm, where I was actually the first hire to their inclusion and diversity team. This is at a time where more and more companies were building out their teams. There would be maybe one or two headcount. Um, and I really focused there on conference engagement. How do you source different communities? How do you think about your culture and making it inclusive for everyone? And then about three years ago, I moved over to ResMed to actually start the entire department, set their strategy in place. So it's been a great background in terms of a lot of international experience. It's given me a lot of exposure and travel to different lifestyles, communities, and people. And I've been able now to kind of help businesses really think about how do you take your global workforce and continue making it more inclusive. Awesome. Yeah, I'm glad you used the term. Danik and I were prepping for this meeting uh, just the other day, you know, attract and retain talent. That, that's yeah. kind of always been a challenge uh, for various ventures and, and global and smaller companies. Uh, and it's definitely true with, with DEI. I feel like that's the, the heart of it, right? Attracting the best talent and retaining that talent. So if, we'll probably pull on that thread here throughout the episode. Danica, do you want to describe your, describe your background and role at KeyTech? Sure. Um, so I am a mechanical engineer by trade, and I've been at KeyTech for 11 years now. I'm a senior mechanical engineer and also have done a lot of project management here. Um, and then, like most people at KeyTech, I have a bunch of different roles, and especially in the partner group, we usually lead different aspects of company management. So I am also leading up our DEI team here. 
Awesome. Definitely interested in talking more about the activities there on that committee, uh, Danica and that team. So Sarah, back to you. You know, we're, we're trying to get to your level, I suppose. So can you describe uh, your current situation there at ResMed? You were brought on as the head of diversity and inclusion uh, for a CPAP company. So I don't know, just describe you know, your world, if you will, for our, for our audience and yeah. what you're focused on. Yeah. So coming into a space where there is nothing, it's a completely blank slate. Let's just say I like a good challenge. It's hard because you really have to, you have to understand that a DNI strategy is going to vary by company, right? Key tech is going to do something very different than ResMed. And that goes based to your product, to your culture, to where you're located, to your leadership style. Um, so when I came in, I spent the first three months really on a very, like very busy listening tour where it's all levels of the business, right? It's from the top to manufacturing, to legal, to finance. And I spoke with everyone at every level, trying to understand what do they like about the culture? What do they see? Where do they want it to go? Where can it go, right? Um, what does inclusion mean for them? And we only had three employee resource groups at the time, but there was always whispers of, you know, parents need more support or our veterans don't have anything going on, or we're not doing anything for our neurodiverse community. And so with all this, I was able to see where, what direction can ResMed go in, right? Who, who can we be? And so these are the questions you kind of have to come in and ask, which is what I did. And then I designed a four-pronged strategy around inclusive behaviors, the end-to-end -end employee experience. Then you think about your policies and your practice, everything in your legal, how you source, how you hire, how you develop your talent. And then there's the product part. How do we really bake in that diversity in our trials, baking them into how we think about the product, how we design the product. And last is the brand. Where do we show up as a company? And making sure that that's equitable and fair um, and that we're really thinking through globally where and how we show up. So that's kind of how I designed it. And that came through a lot of taking time of understanding the history, understanding who we were and where we could go. Yeah. So I was going to ask about the product, right? Because I don't want to lose sight. It is a product company. So just a, a quick follow-up question on that. So when when you when you look at the at the product um, from a D DNI perspective, like what are some of the things running through your mind uh, there? Yeah. So one of the first meetings I did was with our inclusive design team, and then really trying to understand what are, what are our products team doing, as well as where are our testing teams doing, like our medical affairs. How are they going out to certain communities and getting more communities? into our sleep trials. So there's there's there are two pronged answer to that, Andy, Andy, right? There's the, are we making sure we have enough diversity to test our product so that we're making sure that we're enhancing it or improving it to make sure it's accommodating all face types or all heights or all body types. So we have to make sure that we have that baked in diversity of age, race, uh, disability in our trials. And then also making sure that you have diversity on our teams that design the product. Because everyone's going to come in with a different lens, right? So if maybe I'm visually impaired or hearing impaired, or I have a different way of processing information, that's really going to help when you're designing a product. Some of the conversations I get to have behind the scenes are, how are we thinking about hiring for these teams? On my end, I'm a bit of a consultant because I get to work with medical affairs on marketing to different communities. I get to think about how's our data? Are we increasing year on year in our sleep trials? And how are we thinking about our... Um, our actual like diversity on our teams that help design our products. No, that was a great response, Danica. You're, you're probably thinking about so Keytech, as you know, is a product development company, and um, you know I think that's ultimately what we're striving to do. Pri primarily, I'd say is 
building a diverse design team. So I love that term, uh, inclusive design. Danica, any, any thoughts on, as you've been on our uh, committee on DEI, just what that looks like and, and why that's important? Yeah. You know, I think especially in the world of medical devices, that's where there's really an importance of understanding who the entire population is, who's going to use the device, because there's some really uh, potentially dangerous impacts if you haven't been considering all of that. Um, so for sure at the other end with how you're designing your trials, but even for us, having a diverse team who's actually designing the product means you're bringing these diverse perspectives in and it can make such a difference in considering the different users and how things could go um, and making sure that we're really taking that into consideration. So it seems like sort of hits at all these different levels where not only do you want that diverse team to be able to be the most creative that we can be, but it's also how we're best going to serve the patients who are at the other end of it. So I don't know if that's something that you've been seeing as well, Sarah. Yeah. And, you know, I want to add an anecdotal story to share. We actually leveraged our employee resource groups to help with mask fitting trials. So one thing I went to our, our teams and I said, leverage our own employees. We are diverse. We're in 41 countries. So we created mask kits and we sent them. We asked our own employee resource groups. We have now 17 globally. And we asked people to, you know, kind of do these measurements and send back the data. Everything was done via mail. And so we're trying to think creatively. How do you kind of build that diversity in externally as well as leverage your own in-house talent to help you think through that? Yeah, that's really interesting. I feel like usually you think of employee resource groups as really being there for the employees, but also trying to think about how you can leverage that for the product is a smart yeah. thought. A lot of companies will call them BRGs, business resource groups. So companies that are more B2C, uh, they will leverage their employee resource groups for just think about the flavors and a lot of the foods we eat. Like, you know, the story behind Lay's is a great example that it was their like Hispanic ERG that was like, hey, let's put like Chipotle flavor. Um, and so there's a lot of research done, a lot of products out there that employee resource groups were like, try this, test this. Um, so leverage your employee resource groups for feedback, for brands, for products. Another follow-up question, if I may, because again, we're focused on product development. Sarah, the inclusive design team, love it. You mentioned you're in multiple countries, 40 plus countries, right? So let's just say uh, ResMed, I assume, is developing a next generation platform. Like, what does that look like? I don't know, early on, I mean, you mentioned, you know, you've got a team under one roof, right? Are you contracting like diverse or impaired or other type folks uh, on a contract basis to help inform the design or just tell us a little bit more about forming those teams, what that looks like? It requires a lot of intentionality. Um, right now we partner with Disability In. It's growing as an international company. So you can check it out on disabilityin.org, but they have a database of thousands and thousands of resumes. I've also in my past, I've partnered with NFAR, which is like an organization that helps engineers um, who have a history of autism or ADHD get jobs. And so honestly, finding partners on the ground that have talent and that way you can partner with them and hire talent. That's been a really winning approach that I've experienced across my career. Right now at ResMed, we've definitely had the conversations. We've identified organizations. We do have access to the disability and website. We also have an employee resource group that is helping us do a lot of outreach, building awareness in certain communities, even about the brand and about career opportunities. So it's, it's, it's very hard to create an inclusive culture. So I can't really focus on hiring until I know that we've got that culture in place so that when we do hire certain communities, they're set up for success. 
So there's a lot of in-house training right now on disability etiquette, the value of diversity in the workforce. And when we say diversity as an umbrella term, disability is part of that. And that helps with thinking through product design. Um, so there's, you know, and it's beyond disability too, like you said about the platform, but I will say we keep ramping up our sourcing strategy to make sure that we're bringing and thinking through the value of the talent. Danica, have, have you uh, looked at outside entities like Sarah's described, um, you know, for key tech and, and our diverse portfolio of products or has the focus primarily been, you know, more on just building our internal team in a diverse way? Yeah, I think you know, right now we've been definitely focusing our efforts on really retaining and making sure that everybody can show up and do their best work who come here while also looking at you know, bringing in diverse hires. Um, and then through that, trying to make sure that we are leveraging the diversity we have in-house for our products. I think it's an interesting thought and something that I'm definitely going to take back of we don't have to wait until you have everybody represented on a team to be able to making sure that you're getting those voices heard early on and just going back and finding those outside resources that we'll be able to leverage in our products. Yeah. We've also um, taken uh, some members of our product team, inclusive design team, to part like to Microsoft Accessibility Lab. We've gone to some accessibility labs in Singapore to really kind of expose our teams to other companies that are really focusing on accessibility and inclusive design. And that just really helps expand the conversation in-house at ResMed when we're seeing externally what other companies are doing. Gotcha. All right, we're gonna we're gonna keep moving so my headphones don't die here. So the the podcast is MedTech Speed to Data, right? So Next year, early in January, there's the J.P. Morgan uh, uh, MedTech Conference. Everyone goes, although I don't go. <laughs> we we talk about it a lot. So uh, I want to I want you, Sarah, to to break down for you know companies on the same level as Red Resman, global and you know middle tier. What data are you looking for as you begin and throughout your DNI initiatives to help inform you know senior management that this initiative is absolutely critical for the success of these companies. I always want us to be mindful about even like saying that DNI is an initiative. I'm hoping that one day we get to the point where DNI is part of the fabric of how we operate, but we're not there yet. So it's so important for, you know, I have these quarterly meetings with our leaders and I run a very data-driven team and data helps a advocate for money and resources because that's something DNI teams are struggling, so you have to use data to drive an end result. So looking at, if you're talking to leaders, there's so much that you can start with. Looking at your attrition data and parsing that out by age, by race, by duration. If you're losing people one to two years in, understanding what's why they're not staying, for example, and then parsing that out by race. Well, certain communities might be leaving at faster rates, for example. So for me, data is a bit of like, it's a game. You can get lost in it because you want to look at the attrition, then you want to look at promotion data. As we all know, you know, there's... There's definitely a challenge for women at a certain point that messy middle and a lot of women drop out of the tech space. And then if you start parsing that out by race, then you start seeing different trends. So looking at promotion data, looking at retention, what are the efforts we're doing? How are they working? Um, and so really calculating all that and then looking at hiring. And within hiring, if you can take that pool alone, how many phone screens you're doing and who's going all the way to an accept and an offer and who's not. And so when you think about diversity, you have to really think about parsing out diversity within each of those like tracks. 
But the inclusion part is, well, how inclusive were we in the recruiting process? How how inclusive were we from the end-to-end employee experience? And if there are differences at all, and there may not be, right? But it's important to understand by organization, um, by leader, how how things are unfolding. And so, yeah, I do get lost in data sometimes, but it helps me drive the way I support that business unit or that leader. So I'm seeing something, hey, let's let's think about this. But if nothing, it's like, great, here's some other ways I can support you. So it does really help drive the strategy and the approach. Looks like you do a lot of collecting sort of those really quantitative metrics of attritions and promotions. Um, do you tend to do much to couple them with qualitative metrics and, you know, trying to gather some of the the softer information on you know, the whys and how people are feeling. Yeah, I'm really big on testimonials. Great point, Danica. We have an annual like campus pulse survey and there are like thousands of comments I read through. And so those are very valuable to me as well. We average about a week, an event a week, my team and I, uh, we always ask for feedback there. And so I save those chats. I ask for feedback. So I do have like a testimonial sheet and that really helps. I also have like a global council. I have, I meet monthly with my employee resource group leaders and my global council. And so sourcing from them, how are people feeling? Where are we at? How, how are things landing? Um, and I do debriefs after each big event. So we just like did, you know, uh, in Europe, it was Disability Awareness Week. And we're now celebrating globally international, you know, Men's Day and Men's Health in November. And then going back after the event to the leaders and to the site leaders and saying, how did this land? Um, is a big part of the approach as well. Uh, surveys is a common trend here on the podcast, uh, Sarah. Can you describe like what questions are you asking? It's fantastic. The surveys and the events and, you know, basically mm-hmm continual learning and evolution, but what are you asking and who are you asking? We ask the participants. We also sometimes, it's kind of hard, right? Because then you have a list of who registered to attend, but not everyone did attend. Uh, We'll also put it in the chat because most of our events are virtual. Questions like, did you find value in this? What did you enjoy? What do you wish had been addressed more and more, you know, communicated? What would you have liked to see? These are the kinds of things that we always try to kind of gauge from people. Um, what do they like most, the quality of the speaker or the quality of the event? And that really helps me always pivot and know like, what direction are we in? Do we need to change gears? Are we doing, are we, is this right? And also time, you know, we're in such a busy world. Danica and I are just talking about this. Like, I have to be mindful of people's attention span and was this the right amount? Do they need more? Do they need less? So monthly events you found to be, it was monthly, right? It wasn't we. It, Weekly. <laughs> it's weird. Okay. Um, oh my goodness. Like, okay. So, so these are events. So many regions and things. So. so, so these are events that you and your team put on or. Yeah. Wow. No, our employee okay. resource groups, my team. Okay. Uh, we, we have a lot going on. Yeah. It's just interesting. I mean, my team's uh, uh, producing this podcast. I think they're listening and yeah. Events are like, we love events. Festivals is the word that we've thrown around, but my gosh, sometimes they can take a lot of energy and distract you from the critical things you need to get done. So weekly is like mind blowing, but I understand you're at a much bigger company than. And I want you to keep, yeah. So maybe Canada's doing something for truth and reconciliation and Europe is doing something and it's not all the audiences. There are things happening for different audiences that my team support. Then there's, you know, what we put out as well. So I love the data focus. Uh, that's why you're on the podcast. So uh, maybe another time we can um, chat more about the details of the um, of the data you're pulling off these surveys. It's, it's something that me personally in business development, we don't do enough of, um, you know, because I'm always thinking, you know, what, like, what do you do with that data? And you become sort of, I know it's 
important to collect that data, but you, you can't make everybody happy. There's general, you know, uh, approaches to, to doing various things that you're uh, involved in. So, right. Sometimes you're in a meeting and you're like, well, here's the situation. And it is sometimes hard to be like, well, why is this community leaving at a faster rate? What should we do about it? And it does take time, especially in the inclusion space to address data and see improvement. And I told my company when I started, it's going to take a good three to five to 10 years to really have a story to tell. I'm finally now having a story to tell three years later. It takes time. Are you also figuring out how to tell that story to the company at large? Like you're collecting this data, they know this is happening. Um, How do you show them the results and what you're learning? Yeah, we do an annual report. I'm actually putting it off. I'm like, I still need to write this report in December. We do an annual report that's shared on um, my intranet and I share it with all of our executives. So we do that. And then I meet with our executives quarterly. Got it. So yeah, you've got some work to do <laughs> before the end of the year. Uh, don't, don't you love Q4? Um, so let's, let's uh, talk a little bit more about that. You know, that we were going to ask uh, the impact on what you're doing, right? This, this will culminate in, in your report, but if I may, let, let's focus on the, um, the, the retention and you mentioned like inclusion and promotions. Can you talk about the impact of your work in that arena? Cause I feel like that's, I mean, uh, attracting talent, like people can sort of grasp th- the work that needs to get done there. I think the messier part is the retention and, and promotion and inclusion and, and all of this. So describe the impact there that you're seeing. Yeah. I don't know if you know the line by Peter Drucker, culture, each strategy for breakfast. It does not matter how cool your product is um, if you don't offer your employees a positive culture or a culture where they feel like they can thrive or be themselves, then you're not going to retain them. And it's going to be difficult to attract, especially now um, in this age where everything goes online. So when I get a company that reaches out to me, or I was even when I was even considering, you know, other companies back in the day, I go online and I read the reviews. And so companies can't hide their culture anymore. You really have to think about that. Everything, everything you do, if, if a company reaches out, you're going to go check their social media feed. And so being really mindful about how you talk about your culture and that attracts. So the attraction piece is how you show up and being really mindful of that, the power of the internet and your employees, they can, they're not doing well. They will talk about it online. And the retention piece, there's a lot that I do around that. So really thinking through what, what does, what do our women in tech need, right? What, what, how can we help develop certain skills? Or maybe there's other communities that I want to help, you know, push through uh, to get more visibility, more mentorship. Um, and so there's a lot of intentionality again and thinking through the resources and our executive sponsors that help with the retention piece so that people feel like they're cared for, they're seen, they want, we want them to grow, we want them to thrive. And I've personally had people say, I stay here because of this ERG. I, I literally am here because I love the community I've built through this ERG. ERGs are very valuable to the employee experience. Um, and so that's, that's a big part of it. And then feeling like, that your company's investing in you. And so that's why having initiatives around inclusion building and really being mindful of how um, of people's lifestyles and their needs. And that goes even to benefits. Um, flex work, all of that. Like that's something we consult on as well. What do employees need as a caregiver, as a parent, all of that. As part of your surveys there. Yeah. Part of our surveys, part of just employees emailing you and telling you what they need. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think that's interesting. It's a lot of, I feel like you're hitting all these different areas that we're looking at where we just want to 
continually assess how we're doing in these places because also you end up with new generations that come in and needs change. So even if you were meeting the needs before, it could be changing now and thinking about, you know, both your day-to-day work, but then also just your daily interactions and, you know, how you feel walking down the hall. And if you feel you can be yourself in the social situations and fun aspects as well. Um, so it's, it's kind of cool to hear you mirroring a lot of the thoughts that we have. Yeah, Danica, you hit on a great point. I feel like um, being in management, I think one of the toughest things that I didn't fully appreciate until you kind of at this point is just the dynamic nature of the world we live in, right? Like you could have one plan that works, you know, historically or even, you know, the last quarter and then things change. The markets change, your workforce changes, needs, you know, investment models change. Like it is a dynamic world out there. So like, you know, you can say these things and you can, you know, like read books and articles and get an MBA and learn all these things. Um, but until you're like sort of in that arena, right? Like the, and, and dealing with all these things, you don't, you don't kind of, I guess, live or experience that. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. I guess, Sarah, you've been in this space definitely a lot longer than I have. Have you seen any really big shifts in you know, this, what's been happening in the DEI world in the last 10 or so years? I can't think of anything that happened in 2020, actually. Um, <laughs> I'll tell you, I started this work right, 2014, 2015. Um, it has been exhausting since 2020. Uh, it's been exhausting. It's just I never felt this tense or stressed uh, because now it's just louder, right? We had the pandemic and the change of work and needs, and there's a, an uptick in depression, anxieties. So there's navigating that as a disability and, t- and, you know, making sure that you're taking care of your workforce. And then we had George Floyd, and then we had vaccine inclusion. Uh, so we had a lot of waves of things that divided people as well as made, you know, made people kind of be louder about their needs. And so I feel like I get more employees reaching out to me than pre 2019, 2020. So that's, it's made the job. I would say it's given it more visibility, but only because that's, especially in the United States, I'll say it became, it became more front and center. Whereas this work was being done before I I was doing this work for five years prior. Um, but it just got, it got harder. Yeah. Just more real. It sounds like, you know, with, with, um, the, the folks that you're, you're managing and, and, um, supervising their, their problems became more real. Is that what you mean? It's socially things became more real, right? Because when you look at maybe just vaccine rollout and COVID disparities were starting to be highlighted and that was coming off the tail of George Floyd. And so you had a lot of communities uh, raising their hand and the disparate, you know, the, the divisions were being highlighted in the surface more. Uh, it's not that they weren't there before. It's just like you said, it became, it became more real. People talked about it more. And then we dealt with, you know, waves of people leaving jobs and the increase of demands of leaders and of companies to show up as a, as a company that addresses social justice issues or that addresses kind of um, some of these things. And leaders now have to ask different questions. Like, as a leader, do I take a stand on certain things? Uh, so it's become a lot harder to be a CEO. There's a lot of literature on that, actually. It's not just about your bottom line anymore. It's about the culture you're creating and what you stand for. Danica, we're going to run to the to the lightning round. I know Danica's got a few questions here she wants to fire off. So do your best, Sarah, to respond to these uh, in sort of rapid rapid fire-ish <laughs> style. So. so the first one, you know, as you have come into a new place and had to build something from the ground up, but with experience, 
What advice do you have for other small mid-tier medical device companies that are really just starting to get a lot more intentional about baking DEI into everything in their workforce? Survey. Involve them in the process. Don't design a process without them. Involve them in it. To follow up on that, do you usually try to hit like as many people as you can with that? Or do you just try to get representatives from all of the different groups? You know, because you know, I came into a company that was 8,000, I, my history tends to be bigger companies. So yes, you kind of do representatives from different communities. But if you're at a small company, I would say try to make sure that you host those town halls, that you put up those surveys that you do. I do. I still do office hours. I just leave myself open on Zoom and anyone can pop in. I advertise them. So there are ways to get feedback and ways to get the pulse of how people are. And so I would say leverage those. Sarah, if I may, just like a handful of questions you might want to ask in that survey for, for a company that's just starting out in this space. Um, like an initial survey? Like, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. yeah if you're, because the, the survey um, point I made earlier, you know, you just, you don't want to come across as like completely like out of no. left field. You want to be very you know, sensitive to, to everybody's mm-hmm. needs. Right. So mm-hmm. just kind of what, what kind of questions are you asking or what would you consider or advising a, a company to ask in this? In this yeah. Case? Language matters. You know, I'm glad you brought that up because you need to be very neutral and you can't be leading. Right. So as we're designing, as we're thinking about, you know, whatever key text culture, what are some things that you like that we do? What are some things that you would like to see more of? Um, so things like that, really just gauging, what does inclusion mean to you? Um, how do you feel like, you know, what do you think about our workforce? How do you feel about it? So you don't really want to have to like, I'm really not a fan of like labeling things like, are we diverse? Don't do that. Just ask, what are your thoughts? Um, how do you feel about it? What could we be doing differently with hiring? Right. And so if you start asking these questions, you start getting the real answers, but people get very uncomfortable when, when they make, they make it, you make it seem like it's, oh, this is about DNI. Yeah, I think also being genuine like is an important thing for people to want to open up about that. Yeah. And what do they need to do that? Right. What communities do they need? What communities do they feel comfortable with? And you can put different, you know, I like to give them options. So another question, you know, where we are based in Baltimore, almost hundred percent of our workforce is here and you are focused globally. Is there anything that you think is the most challenging part of having to consider inclusivity in this global workforce? Yeah, there's a lot. Do we have another hour? Um, no, I'm joking. Honestly, you know, you want to really understand. The first part is for people to understand themselves. It doesn't matter whether you're in one city or you're in 41 cities. Um, you're still navigating the same challenges. Uh, people have their own intrinsic and innate opinions, thoughts, biases, um, building awareness, right? So, you know, I, you could bring 10 Sarahs from San Diego, same personality, it would still be different, right? It doesn't matter. Um, so really learning how to navigate personalities, ways of life, ways of work is a big thing, right? We've all been on teams where you've had to calibrate against different people. Um, and so really building in that ability to understand and find value in people's differences is the hardest part. And so I always say that it's, it's about knowing yourself, knowing who you are and how you work, then understanding your biases and then building that cultural awareness. That's great. And make sense. Those are things that matter even on a smaller scale. And then you just have much larger differences with what you're navigating. All right. So next rapid fire question. 
sleep. Okay, we're, we're talking about sleep, right? ResMed. So we, we haven't brought it up uh, in this episode. So I just wanted to ask you uh, what, what you've learned about the science of sleep and and your products there at ResMed. And and, and if there's any lens uh, for DNI you can apply to that, I'd be interested. Yeah. So I have to say, I didn't know who ResMed was when they reached out to me. And I didn't even know the term <laughs> sleep hygiene, right? And um, now I've just learned so much and I'm like all about it. I sleep more now, ironically, because I'm like, I need to sleep. So there are disparities with sleep. Women sleep less than men, especially as we get older. Uh, they're more prone to insomnia. Um, and so that's really interesting. And also there are a lot of like, um, when you don't sleep enough, you're more prone to heart disease. And, and there, there's other things that can help that can impact your overall health if you're not getting enough sleep and your mental health. So that's been really interesting. And we, we start also, we also, our medical affairs team parses out data by different communities as well and their reaction to different medications. And, um, so that, that's, that's something I've been able to learn more about to your point. Our medical affairs team is doing more research on the social determinants of health and access to health care. And that varies, right? Communities of color have statistically less access. And so how are we addressing that as ResMed? As we are definitely on that tech, tech equity, health equity conversation. We're doing more research around that. We're making sure that all communities, veterans, everyone gets access to getting a sleep test if needed. And we're trying to raise more awareness about that in different communities. So that's a big part of it. Um, just seeing the intentionality again that goes behind making sure all communities are more comfortable. The last thing I'll say about that is some communities are not comfortable talking about sleep. It is a very personal experience. And we have seen that struggle with getting some communities to even get sleep tested. And that is the challenge is sometimes a single parent can't come in and get sleep tested or people are too far away. Um, how do we navigate those challenges? Yeah, I remember we we did some work in in uh, CPAP many years ago at KeyTech, and, and yeah, the, the elephant in the room for me was like this is a prevalent problem, um, mm -hmm. sleep apnea, for example, nine. that that yeah. leads to you know all kinds of cardiovascular challenges and and others. And um, here in 2023, it sounds like it's still the same, right? Mm -hmm. Getting people tested for sleep apnea to dramatically improve their their quality of life. You know, I've heard testimonials from people after one night, one woman I met um, at a conference, because you know me, I do that all the time. She told me, she's like, I went 60 plus years. She's like, I finally got a machine. She had never knew what sleeping through a whole night was like. She's like, I never felt better. She's like, I wish I'd done this sooner. And that's always something we hear from our patients. I wish we had gotten on this sooner. And the other anecdotal story is that sometimes their pets are the ones that get them to go because the pets will keep waking them up because they keep waking them up. And the pets are worried about them. They're constant choking at night. Super interesting. Um, it's really interesting. Most of our patients come to us from their partners, their family members, sometimes pets, um, but it changes your life. And I know it's not the sexiest product, but it's becoming slimmer. If you look at ResMed's recent designs, they're becoming smaller, less noisy. Um, we've done a lot of testing with different hairstyles too. That's something I pushed for because of my hair. And I was like, we need to have hair inclusion. Um, so really testing on people that have like different kinds of hair and dreads and making sure that we're being really mindful of everybody that needs a CPAP. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. So, um, Sarah, it sounds like you're making an incredible impact there at ResMed and, um, in, and at prior companies. So the, my last question, uh, given, I know you probably have a, a conference or an event to, to plan here. Um, you know, what are you most proud of, uh, the impact that you've made here uh, in the last couple of years? I have to say when people ping me after and say, I didn't know that, 
or thanks for sharing. I, I had no clue about this or never thought of things this way. Those are the moments where they bring me the most joy. Creating space for people that really build bridges or build understanding for themselves or for about other people is what brings me a lot of joy. And seeing that level of connection, even like with mentorship programs, I'm actually doing a reverse mentorship program now. And all of that is that connection building, seeing people connect that wouldn't have really brings me so much joy. Awesome. Sounds like you have the right uh, position for, for that if, if that's what you're interested in. So I'm definitely more of like a connector, you know, meeting you and getting you on here and connecting the dots and you meeting one of our, our friends. It's just, I, I really enjoy that, that part of my job. So Danica, any, any other questions or final thoughts for Sarah? No, I think this has been, it's been really interesting hearing your perspective and what you've seen um, and, you know, that you've been able to create all of those connections. It sounds like impressive work that you've going on. Thanks, Danica. Great job to you as well. I'm really excited to hear more about what you're going to be doing at KeyTech. Feel free to reach yeah. out. Yeah, we should definitely talk a little bit more about it. Thanks, Andy, for the opportunity. Thank you, Sarah. All right, that's it, everybody. Thanks for logging in. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to MedTech Speed to Data, a KeyTech podcast. Join us each month for more ways to get the right data faster to inform critical decisions. Find additional resources on our website, keytechinc.com. If you like this episode, don't forget to subscribe and please leave a review on iTunes whenever you listen. Thanks.